0: This is the last week that we're talking about lead. And if, you, if you've been here from the beginning, it really has been the heart to talk about that we're all leaders. Matthew 28 says that we're going to all the world and disciple all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It means that we are the yeast amongst the dough. We come in and we change society. The call on this church is to change the society of Dubai. So with us getting... I love how excited it is. It's awesome. With us getting, uh, we're growing, God's doing some stuff. I know we're going into the summer lull, but I believe we're going to grow over summer. We're going to have new people. Then all of you, all the ladies and the moms and the kids come back, and then we're going to have no space. So we need to keep trusting God for more. God is always speaking new things. The the, the part about being a covenant, uh, prophetic people is that God doesn't become stagnant and we don't live on yesterday's revelation, but we live on what He's continually speaking. And I feel just prophetically that there's a newness that God is speaking over us as a community. Isaiah 43 speaks about that, that the old things have passed. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. And I've spoken to a few people who have gone through different situations in their life. And all of a sudden, in the past two weeks, there's been a change of job there's been a change of circumstances God is doing a new thing and saying that we're going to need leaders within this community to rise up to handle the people that God is going to be sending us the call on a leader any leader and I believe we're all leaders is to is to take people from a place of brokenness lostness into a place of freedom it's what Jesus, it's what God did with the people of Israel, it's what God did through, uh, through the, the early church. It took a broken people, a lost people, and they found the shepherd of their souls and their lives were changed. That is the call on this church, that is the call on this community. And we need every single person to say, I can do something. So we've, we've discussed a few things, we've discussed the marks of a leader, we've discussed, I've got it written down here somewhere. Mark's leading the starless preach last week was incredible. Can we all agree? I think it was a word from the Lord. If you haven't listened to it, it's, to, it's definitely online. But today I'm talking about what the mark of a leader is. There's one mark. If I look, there's a thread that goes from Genesis to Revelation, which is God's redemptive plan for mankind. And along with that goes the Spirit of God that goes in front of the people, that changes communities. We cannot do this on our own. We cannot do this through a good program. We cannot do this through slick worship. We cannot do this through just going out there and doing the best in our ability. It's eventually going to wane off and we're going to start doing it in our own strength and it's going to become religion. And we never want to be that. So as a community, I want to say this. That it's not Zechariah 4, 6. It's not by might nor by power. But my, my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. God is doing something and it's not going to be due to us and not going to be due to our good ideas. Whatever good comes out of this community, whatever good comes out of city lights and sees lives changed has very little to do with us. All we are doing is being obedient to what God is saying. It's by His Spirit and not by our own power and not by our own might. Acts 4.13 says this, When they saw the courage... Of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, and they were astonished and astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So, if I say that there's one mark for us being a leader, for us one mark so we can disciple nations, it's that we have the presence of God with us. I want nothing else. I was talking to a friend of mine this week. I had breakfast with him. And just, it's amazing what God has been leading him through. And I just, we were sitting at the table and I just, we prayed for our breakfast. And just the sense of God's presence was just there. Walking around this warehouse, I'm just praying this week. I say, God, what do you want to talk about? And just God, His presence comes. And He says, I want you to talk about my presence. We cannot do this. We cannot change anyone's life. I cannot. My words cannot change your life. The gospel is truth, but it's the Holy Spirit that works in your heart to change your heart. It has nothing to do with me. I'm in any ways, in many ways, I want it to be a mouthpiece that just proclaims the truth, proclaims the gospel, and lets the Holy Spirit change us. We want to be drenched in His presence. I'm feeding a little bit off these front fills here. Maybe we can turn them down. A.W. Tozer says this. I want the presence of God himself, or I don't want anything at all to do with religion. I want all that God has, or I don't want any. Who wants that? We don't want religion. I don't want City Lights in 40 years' time to become another denomination, another set way of doing church. Where the life of God has been pushed out and we just somehow make a set of rules that has a small resemblance of what Jesus is. When Jesus was on this planet, he was dynamic. Wherever he went, he changed cities. Wherever he, whatever he did, there was, there, was, there was just change. There was like this a rock being thrown in, in a river, and there was this ripple effect that went across to nations where Jesus was preaching in his own home, and it says that the, the fame of him spread across the whole area. People were traveling on foot hundreds of kilometers to come and see the king. And I'm saying, God, would you do something amongst us that if we, if we just honor your presence, Holy Spirit, and, not, and give you space to do what you want to do, that, the, that God is going to change people's hearts and lives. And He's going to step in. God wants the whole person. This is A.W. Tozer again. And He will not rest until He gets it in, in its entirety. No part of man will do And I think that's what Starla was speaking about yesterday, last week. Is that we, God does not want a part of us. He wants everything. What it means to, to follow Jesus is that He's our Savior. And we all like celebrate the Savior side. We're like, oh, cool, good. Jesus has saved me. I didn't deserve this. And yet I live the way I want to live. But actually, He is Christ, He is Savior, and He is Lord. Which means that, he, that, he, that, that His goal on our lives is for us to change, which I'm going to speak about a little bit later. God's Word, when He describes Himself, He says, I'm Emmanuel. Which is a, the Greek word, God with us. He, he is dwelling amongst His people. There's, God is wanting to... He's always just wanted to be with His people. There's, I'm going to take you on a little bit of a journey. Let's, um, before that, I was lying in bed, and I mentioned this last week in worship. I was lying in bed last week sometime or the week before, and I was just... I was overwhelmed by the greatness and the bigness of God. I don't know if anyone has been into the African bush, like deep African bush... Anyone? And you look up and there's a thousand stars. It feels like eternity is right there. God is right there. We don't really see it in Dubai much because there's lots of light and smog and all that stuff. And I, it almost like I had that sense as I had my eyes closed and I was just meditating on God. David says that he meditates on his bed at night. We need to start meditating on God's greatness. And as I was there, I was like, I was overwhelmed by the greatness and the privilege that he would even partner with human beings. David writes says, What is man that you are mindful of him? God's mind is full of us. He's so desperate to have a relationship with one of us that, and I've said this many times, but he, he gave the only thing that cost him. It was his son. Came and died on the cross for us to, to restore a broken relationship. 2 Timothy 3 says this. It's talking about it, the church there and it says, They have a form of godliness but denying its power. Turn away from such as these. I never want to be a community that forgets about the greatness, the bigness of God and and, and the life of God that is in, one, in, in every single one of us, the Holy Spirit working. Otherwise, we get to dead, boring religion. Am I right? Cool. There's other churches, if you want routine, but when Jesus comes into town, it's messy. It's it, there's, there's a shaking of hearts He reveals hearts As Starla said last week All the time So I'm going to go through A few characters In the Bible A few scenes in the Bible I'm going to teach the whole Bible this morning If that's cool yeah. But in the next 15-20 uh, minutes And um, So I'm going to start with The garden Get to Abraham To Moses To David To Jesus And then the church and how we can see the thread of the Spirit of God from creation all the way to the end. And the thread that God actually wants to presence Himself amongst His people. And I want to start with this thinking that God is always pulling us from where we are to something better. We are changing from glory to glory. And I was thinking, this, the whole thought while I started with this, I was thinking, God, why were there sacrifices in the Old Testament? Now I know a lot of you have heard the teaching that those were types, they were kind of representations of Jesus, that there needed to be blood to be shed uh, so there could be the forgiveness of sins and that's all truth and right. But what I felt the Holy Spirit drop into my heart is that it's, it's because they, God needed to speak into that culture. There was a almost a sacrificial culture. And then if I look back throughout history and God started to remind me of everything that's that God always meets people when they, where they're at. God is an incarnational God. Our incarnation means that he, he wrapped Himself in flesh, carne, meat, flesh, and He dwelt amongst us. God has always wanted to be amongst His people. So He could take them from where they are, this idol-worshipping nation who was stuck in Egypt, stuck in slavery, and take them into freedom. And you had just 40 years, which had to happen because a lot of Egypt had to get out of Israel before they got into the Promised Land. And in our lives, we get saved. There's this radical crossing of the Red Sea. God's done saying, but then life starts to get a bit difficult. There's someone in the church that irritates you. And uh, there's, there's, there's little things that start, your wife does stuff, your husband does stuff. And then all this character stuff starts to get revealed in your heart. And it's all God's saying is, I'm taking all, the, all of Egypt, all of your own ways, and I'm making you focus on me. So we're going to start in the garden. You obviously started, you had paradise. Adam and Eve were created in God's image. There's such incredible truth around that. There was unbroken relationship with God. They were naked and unashamed. They were just, they were frolicking in the garden. It was an awesome moment for them, just the two of them. Then the thing is, God never wanted to create robots. So he gave, he gave them choice and he gave them free will. He wanted them to choose them choose God over everything else. So he puts in the garden the the tree of good and evil. And obviously Adam and Eve go sin. And from that moment, there's a a breaking down of relationship. It says that they were walking, that they heard God walking in the garden, but then they hid themselves and they covered themselves with leaves because they were ashamed of their nakedness. And God said, who told you that you were naked? That moment in history, however, whatever you believe about Genesis that there that there's, was a breakdown of relationship with, between God and man. And the ramifications from that moment, we are still living in. But then God comes along with Jesus and the, and the church empowered by the Spirit. And we bring back, in many ways, we're bringing back Eden to the earth. That is part, we, we are part of the renewal of all things. So there's massive repercussions. Man couldn't walk with God. They were kicked out of the garden. God uh, slayed an animal, put animal skin on them. So, etc. etc. But then God sets in motion His rescue plan. He said, He calls a man Abraham. And if you look at the call of Abraham, number one, he was an idol-worshipping man from Iraq, from the Ur of Chaldea, which is kind of southern Iraq, near quite close to Kuwait, and. um God calls him. His only concept of God is, a God, I think the, the God was called Nana. It's a weird name for a God, eh? isn't it? We call our grand and Nana. And um, so his only kind of concept of, and that was the moon God. And so they basically worship the moon. They worship the stars. God comes and calls Abraham, meets him where he's at. And he says, look up, which Abraham would have done a thousand times in his life. He says, look up. I'm calling you. I'm going to make you a great nation. Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars. Isn't it amazing how God meets us where we're at? He, he talks to us through our own language. And that's why I believe the church, the local church, needs to be incarnational. We cannot be stuck in a, in a method that worked in the 90s or the 70s or the 80s. We have to always be on the forefront. And that's why we need the prophetic like Denae came and gave this morning. Because God is always moving us forward. Read quickly through the book of Mark. You'll see that, that Jesus is always on the move. I love that scene in... A, line which in the wardrobe where I think the little rat or someone says that Aslan, Jesus, is on the move. We have to always keep in step with God, what God is doing in His his spirit. So God calls Abraham. From one man, He makes a nation. That nation gets put into slavery, all part of God's sovereign plan and how it works out. God raises up a man, Moses. Moses had an incredible relationship with God under the Old covenant. And I want to encourage us this morning that if Moses had this incredible relationship with God through the law, through, through the old way of doing things, how much more do we have it under the new covenant? With the curtain that's been broken, we, we can approach God boldly that our sins are washed away not through our own doing but through simply believing in Jesus Christ. And we can come and approach God's throne boldly. We can pray to Him. I can, in the middle of my day, I don't need to go offer 15 sacrifices so I can approach God. I just come before Him and I say, Jesus, here I am. I need to talk to you. That's what God did. He came. That's the glory of the new covenant. And I want to read a few things here. So can we turn, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to put it up. Exodus 33 verse 7. Now, now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp, some distance away. Calling it the tent of meeting. I love that. There's old covenants. So we can approach God. We don't need a space to go and approach God. We can approach God in any, in any way and in any form. But, but he had a place where he went and met God. Where the people of Israel knew that, that that's where they met God. Anyone inquiring, inquiring of the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, a lot of tents here, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped at the entrance of their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses' face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Just a few thoughts there that that Moses, this man called of God, who a few pages before said, I'm so timid, I cannot speak. I have to get my brother to speak to Pharaoh. God calls this man and enables him, this reluctant leader, and enables him by what? By, by his spirit, by his power that enables him to move forward can we go I think it's 14 to 17 the Lord replied my presence will go with you and I will give you rest then Moses said to him if your presence does not go with us do not send us up from here how will, how will anyone know that we are pleased that you are pleased with me and you are with your people unless you go with us let me give you a short little history lesson on the people of Israel these guys came out of Egypt. They had no weapons. They were very much stuck in a past age. They they were kind of oppressed for 400 years in in uh, in, um, in Egypt. They come and they're about to take over different parts. Of, they're about to get the, the Canaanites, the Jebusites. These guys were were war mongers. These guys, for hundreds of years, had, had developed themselves almost into the Iron Age. They were a little bit ahead of Israel. So Israel come and uh, and they come out of uh, kind of. Out of Egypt, kind of thinking lowly of themselves, they needed the power of God. They didn't have, they couldn't trust in horses and chariots. They didn't have any. There's some instances in the Bible where it says there was only one sword in the whole of Israel. We need. We are very much those people. We are coming against stuff that is way bigger, way greater than us. But we have God behind us, who's in charge of absolutely everything. First picture. I must I change the mic? One. Is that better? Okay. First picture is that God comes. He dwelt with man. His presence was with man. Secondly, there's Moses makes a tent. There's this temporary structure where Moses used to go meet God. I'm not going to read the rest of the thing, but basically Moses would meet God, and his face would shine that he had to put a veil over his face because he didn't know this, but the people of Israel almost couldn't look at him because his face shone by looking at God. Then comes David. David's described as a man after God's own heart. 1 Samuel 16, 13 says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, which is David, in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord... Rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. If you look at the word that the spirit rushed on, it's the same word that when Samson is going to go and kill a lion and tear a lion apart, it's that same strength. This, it almost means to fall forward. That the power of God came upon David. That and, and this is I'm talking still under the old covenants. So Jesus hadn't died yet. They were they were approaching God in, through law. They were approaching Him. But David had this heart after God. That God came and said, I'm going to put my presence on you. And it's not going to be for a moment. In the Old Testament, often when the anointing came, it was for a moment and for a task. But David had, it seemed like it sustained him. I mean, it says that Saul killed his thousands and David, his tens of thousands. There was this supernatural strength that came upon him. And he was able to lead the people of Israel. David had it in his heart to build a temple which he didn't get to do. The Bible says that he had blood on his hands, so his son built it. So you had from Moses, who was this portable place, to David and Solomon, that built this permanent temple for, the, for God and in Israel, where the Ark of the Covenant stayed, where people used to go to Israel to experience the presence of God. Can you see the thread of the Spirit that has been working in redemption through all of this? So God, just remember that, that early picture, God is pulling us to something greater. He's taking us from glory to glory. Then comes Jesus. The more I study Him, the more I look at the history of the Bible, the more I fall in love with Him and realize that this plan that God has is incredible. That Jesus is the culmination of the ages. He is the fulfillment of all the sacrifices. He is the fulfillment of the law. He he took every sin, past, present, future upon Himself and He died on the cross his people. He is the Savior that was predicted so many times in the Old Testament. If you go read Isaiah 53, it's basically a depiction of Jesus hanging on the cross. It was written 700 years before it happened. There was this moment that that Israel had been waiting for. In many ways, they were waiting for this warrior king to come and kind of slay the enemies, but they never. He came as a humble king, and he served people, and he loved people, and he started a movement 2,000 years ago that hasn't, not only has it moved forward, but it's gaining such momentum. We need to look at the good of what God is doing in the world. I, I, I fill myself with hope every time. We can look at the negative, we can look at, oh wow, some crazy stuff happening in the States, there's some crazy stuff happening in the Middle East, but we can look at the positive and say, God is doing stuff. The church is changing whole nations. Go to South America, you'll see that there's revival happening in Brazil. There's thousands of people going to say, China, the underground church, is expanding. Look at city lights. God is doing something. God is on the move. And we have to fill ourselves with hope that Jesus is always, always doing stuff and moving forward. If you just look at the pictures of Jesus. The Spirit descended on Him like a dove. Philippians 2, that He became a man, dwelt amongst us, became nothing, died on the cross for us. In our place. Luke 4, one says this. Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. Can we say full of, full of the Holy Spirit? If Jesus needed it, we need it. If Jesus needed to be filled with God and spend time with Him. So how do you do that? It's, it's simple. I believe first of all that the Bible speaks that through repentance, times of refreshing come. I was listening to a sermon yesterday and it uh, just speaks about you want, you want more of the presence of God you want more of God in, inside of you learn how to repent Learn there, there may be something you're stuck in ways of sin you're stuck in ways of doing things it's, it's that moment of repentance that times of refreshing comes from the Lord it comes from seeking His face above everything else it comes from putting Him first in everything Amen. in our lives Jesus says in Luke 4:17 and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, "The spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering the sight of the blind, to set at those who are oppressed, sorry, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor." Jesus came the curtain was torn, torn into. We didn't have to approach God through a bunch of rules. We approached God through Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity for you to meet your maker. It cannot be through every other way. Any, every other religion speaks about how you need to work your way to God. And these gods are distant. They, 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 they're far away. Jesus comes and he dwells amongst us. He becomes a poor carpenter. And he hangs out with people and he chooses 12 people that that the world in many ways is rejected. And those 12 people change the world. That is how God works. That is how he's always going to work. Acts 10.38. It says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. The power there is dunamis. Uh, It means dynamite. So it's not soft like you get some gentle piano playing. And I don't mind those moments. But sometimes we need to realize that God comes in power. And we must be unafraid when He starts to move amongst us. And I think people say, well, we're not chasing experience. Okay, I'm not chasing experience. I'm chasing after God. But when heaven meets earth, there's going to be a collision. Things are going to look different. Our lives are going to look different. We are going to be different. We chase after Jesus. The curtain tore into, then finally the church, and this is what I'm going to end on. Can we turn to 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7? I think we've got it up here. Let's go to 8. Okay, it says, If the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in the letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of his glory, transitory through it, though it was, this is a very different version to what I read. <laughs> Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry uh, that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory in comparison with, uh, with the surpassing glory. I want to read just uh, 12 to 18. It says, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing... The end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. Okay, I'm going to skip all of that. But whenever one turns to the Lord, that veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Verse 18. And we all who have unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. And I started at the beginning of the meeting that God is pulling us into greatness. He's pulling us into something new. That when we stare at Jesus, when we put our lives on Jesus, we begin to change. That's why after two, three years of being a Christian, you should be more like Christ. God is God's ultimate plan from the beginning of time since man has sinned was to come that so Jesus would come so the church would rise and there's this greater glory that is in the new covenant that doesn't, it's not going to pass away. It's, it's extending into the new heavens and the new earth. And we are part of that. If glory came on the old covenant, how much more glory in the new covenant? And I want to say as a community of people and city lights, we need the Spirit of God. We need the presence of God to come and change our hearts and our lives. And we need Him to come and fill us. We, need, we do not need to be enabled uh, by our own ways of doing things, but by the Spirit Himself. Jeremiah 31 says this, For this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Now this is also a prophecy about our time. I'll put my law within them, I'll write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Can we all stand?